read verse 18 down to verse 27 as we look at this matter of the Antichrist. And we're going to talk about how, um, what is the Antichrist, what is the spirit of the Antichrist, and why that matters to us today, and how, how the spirit of the Antichrist really threatened the covenant community. And we're a part of a covenant community. community. If we want to live life together well, this message that John has for us is vitally important. And so please, attend now to the words of God. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abide in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word, and these are your people. And so I pray that you might take this word and knit it to their hearts, and their minds, and their beings. Lord, this message that John wrote some 2,000-odd years ago is still relevant to us today, even in the time that we find ourselves in. And so, Lord, I pray that um, through this message, there are many that might come to know you, and Christians might be strengthened, not because of my words, but because it is your word and your spirit is working. So bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few days ago, a friend of mine uh, sent me a text. And in the text, he said, Dennis, here's uh, a, an article that somebody wrote. I think it was on Facebook or on Twitter. And I really want you to look at it and tell me what you think. So I told him, sure, why not? So I took out my phone after I had a bit of time, and I opened it up. And it was someone talking about the Antichrist. And predictably, he said that our current president is the Antichrist. And he gave what he thought was a cogent argument for 
the, uh, how our current president is the Antichrist. Now, I looked at it and I sort of picked up my phone and texted back my friend. And I said, look, this is, there's nothing novel about this post. There's nothing novel about this article. I mean, every powerful person, to one degree or the other, has been called the Antichrist. I mean, the Pope has been called the Antichrist. Nero Caesar has been called the Antichrist. Hitler has been called the Antichrist. Napoleon, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, I found out here, and, and even Martha Stewart, believe it or not. Um, but, but also, every single American president has been called the Antichrist. I, I mean, you know, if you say something uh, you know, if you say something that people don't like, they even would label you as the Antichrist. And this is, this is somewhat disorienting for us. Because the Bible is pretty clear about the Antichrist and who the Antichrist is. In fact, in our passage today, John tells us that the Antichrist isn't just one person. The Antichrist, he says, are many people. There are many Antichrists that have gone out. Moreover, if you look at 1 John chapter 4, we'll see that John talks about this spirit of Antichrist. And I think sometimes when, when we read articles about a particular U.S. president being Antichrist, or the Pope, or someone else being Antichrist, or, or to hear somebody talk about Antichrist as this you know, figure that's going to come in the future, and, and this figure that's going to come later on in this apocalyptic fashion, and, and deceive all the nations... I mean, some of that is certainly true, but hear me today, that's not actually John's point in this passage. John is less concerned about an apocalyptic figure that's going to come and deceive everyone, and he's most concerned about a particular spirit of Antichrist he has seen in the church. And John is saying that that spirit of Antichrist is pride. That spirit of Antichrist that leads him to reject Christ is nothing more than pride. And it's the heart condition that is most prevalent in our churches that seeks to destroy us. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Dennis, okay, I know pride can be bad, but, but haven't you heard that pride could be good? Well, to some degree, there's a form of pride if we're talking about self-respect, I mean, the Bible says we're all created in the image of God, and by virtue of us being made in the image of God, of course, we should love one another and take, uh, take particular interest in what each other does. But that's, that's what the Bible calls a healthy version of self-respect or understanding who we are within the created order. What John is talking about in this passage is the kind of pride that destroys us. And, and the word pride, I love what Oskinus says. Oskina says that the actual word pride means for us to love ourselves more than we love God. That's pride. And that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Pride at root is a self-love that, that cares only about yourself and about what you've done and your accomplishment. And it doesn't care not only about anybody else, but about Jesus Christ. And John is saying that spirit is in our church. And if we're not careful and examine our own lives, 
then we would end up, John says, actually becoming antichrist and hurting the community and leaving. We're going to look at that today. So here's what I want to do. I want us to examine the spirit of the antichrist as we see it here in 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to examine the various characteristics of antichrist. And then we're going to look at how you and I could continuously keep ourselves from that spirit of antichrist, which is pride. So first of all, let's examine the markers of the Antichrist, this mark of pride in our lives. First of all, John says that uh, the spirit of Antichrist, as it manifests itself in pridefulness, embrace is an embrace of the self, a rejection of others, and a denial of the truth. An embrace of self, a rejection of others, and denial of truth. Let's look at it in the passage. First of all, verse number 18. Now, John begins uh, verse number 18, and verse number 18 actually flows from verse number 17. If you remember how verse number 17 ends, John is talking about those that are doing the will of God. And John says, those that do the will of God abide forever. And he goes by talking about those for doing, that do the will of God to someone or, or a spirit or a group of people that reject the will of God for self uh, for their own self. And that's why he labels them as the Antichrist. In fact, if you think about it, that makes sense. Because the very name Antichrist, or anti, means to be against or oppose. So what John is saying is that the Antichrist is those who reject the will of God, oppose the will of God, and are against the will of God for their own selfish desires. C.S. Lewis uh, calls this um, this form of pride presented by the Antichrist as being an anti-God state of mind. It's an anti-God state of mind. Now let's focus on that for a bit. This anti-God state of mind. How do we see that in our passage as, as we see the Antichrist as someone who embraced himself rather than others? Well, first of all, notice in verse number 18, twice John makes a claim that this is the last hour. At the beginning of verse number 18, he says, children, it is the last hour. Then at the very end of verse number 18, he says, um, therefore, we know that this is the last hour because the Antichrist has come. What's going on there? What is John saying? Here's what John is saying. John is saying, think about it. What characterizes the spirit of the last hour? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, that the spirit of the age in the last hour means that they will be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than God. So one of the things that characterizes the last hours, there will be people that will come in our churches. There will be people in our covenant community. They will be lovers of themselves. They'll be filled with pride. And they will not care about what God has to say because they're going to reject the will of God. And they're not going to be interested in what the community has to say because they're only interested in themselves. Paul gives a, another description of this antichrist, the spirit of antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. And it says this, the spirit of antichrist, this prideful spirit that could sometimes be in our churches, exalts himself against so-called gods, or object of, or, or, or any object of worship, proclaiming himself to be God. You think about that for a moment. How the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of pride, really seeks to exalt him or herself as God within the church. 
Later on, Paul says in the same passage that that spirit must be humbled and must uh, be broken. You know, a few days ago, I was uh, talking to um, Scott Finch, actually, and I was, I was talking to him about uh, the spirit of pride, and he reminded me of good old Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him in the book of Daniel? You know, this explains Nebuchadnezzar, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar so well, because Nebuchadnezzar at the time in which he was alive was the greatest military leader the world had ever seen. I mean, he became wealthy beyond his imaginations. He had conquered the entire uh, known world at that time. He had established beautiful gardens at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar one day walks out on his beautiful porch, and he begins to say, look at what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at how brilliant and successful I am. Look at all the ways that I have accomplished and done things that no one else has ever done before. And in that moment of prideful boast, what happens to him? The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar is struck by God. And from that point on, for the next seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass like a wild man. Now, here's the irony of all of that. Nebuchadnezzar was actually named after the Babylonian god of wisdom. And this is the kind of wisdom that one exercises in order to be prosperous. And so what the Word of God is telling us is that the very thing that Nebuchadnezzar was prideful of, his wisdom and his ability, the thing that he was named after and was supposed to model, God took away from that. And here's the lesson that you and I need to learn. The very thing that happens to be our source of pride, whether it's money or intellect or status or looks, and you could go on and on, these are the very thing that God says ends up destroying us. Dorothy Sayers says it like this, the devilish strategy of pride is that it attacks us not in our weakest points, but in our strongest points. And that's how deceptive pride is. The very thing that we take pride in, the very thing that we think that we are known for, God uses that very thing to destroy us. Now, here's the part of the Nebuchadnezzar story that's so, that's so amazing to me. Before the Lord actually punishes Nebuchadnezzar for his pride, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in his dream, he's given sort of the roadmap for how he can get out of being prideful. And because he can't translate it, he calls Daniel, and Daniel comes to him, and Daniel says, Oh, great king, you need to cast off your pride. And how do you do it? He says, You need to practice righteousness. You need um, to cast off iniquity and show mercy to the oppressed. And then he says, Only then you will prosper. And if you're listening to me today, and, and the irony of this is, you know, People that are prideful rarely ever listen to sermons on pride because the very thing that prevents them from listening, their pride, is the very thing they need to cast aside in order to listen. And listen, I need this sermon just as much as you do because there's deep-seated pride in my heart and it causes disruption not only in my life but, but in the lives of people around them. No, I remember one day saying to my wife, my sin will be so much bearable if it didn't harm the people around me. If my sin only impacted me, and if my sin only caused me to get, um, to be damaged or hurt, then that's one thing. But the fact of the matter is my sin also causes disruption and harm to others. 
And this sin of pride actually does that. And if you're a Christian, you need to um, understand what the Word of God is saying here, how the spirit of pride in our own lives causes disruption and causes strife within the covenant community. And what we need to exercise is that of humility. But this is also true of the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't have a mechanism to deal with their pride, and that's why they need to come to Christ. Because only with humility and, hum and humbly coming before the Lord and trusting in the Lord, the Word of God says that their pride can be broken. And so John says here, the spirit of the Antichrist, what is it characterized by? Pride as it is seen in the last days. Notice with me the second thing. Not only is the spirit of Antichrist, this pride, just interested in self, but it also causes hostility towards others. And uh, you could see that clearly in verse number 19. Notice what it says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all with us. Now notice that language, that language of going out from us, that language of not being a part of, out, um, not being a part of us. That whole language is the language of hostility. But not only that, it's the language of hostility that manifests itself in division, in contention, and disagreement within the body of the Lord. You know, Jesus said that one of the ways or one of the spirits of genuine Christianity is marked by love and peace and unity. That, should, that is what should characterize our, our Christian community. Jesus even points out in, his, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount how you and I need to be peacemakers. In fact, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and the daughters of God. Peacemaking and unity characterizes the life of the church. It characterizes genuine Christianity. Contrary to that is the spirit of Antichrist, this pride that ends up harming the community and causing hostility within the community. And, Jesus is, and, and John is saying here in this passage that the spirit of Antichrist, instead of uh, causing peacemaking or engaging in peacemaking, actually engages in troublemaking and harming the body. And we in the community, in the Christian community, if we want to have the Spirit of the Lord dwelling in us, then you and I definitely need to have a spirit that makes peace instead of trouble. You know, I once knew uh, a Christian young lady who had grown up in, in, a, in a home in which the home was so toxic I remember talking about the fact that she was in her home and all they did was fight and argue with one another. All they did was cause disruption with one another. And it became such a part of her DNA. It became, she became so used to arguing and fighting with other people that she knew nothing else. And so all, anyone that was around her noticed immediately that she would always cause trouble and she would always cause strife. In fact, I remember saying it got so bad that she was in a relationship with a young man, and she honestly didn't feel love unless this young man was physically and, um, and emotionally and mentally abusive to her. And that was just terribly sad when I, when I thought about that. 
Because here is someone who is saying that because of the way they grew up, because of, of the sin patterns that had been uh, formulated in their life, they were incapable of having relationships that were healthy in which she saw herself as a peacemaker. In fact, all she saw herself as is a troublemaker. And you know, some of us are exactly the same way. There are many of us that are listening to my voice that the way you interact with others and the world is always through troublemaking and strife. And you find yourself in a position where you can't uh, be in a position to be a peacemaker because you simply don't know how. And in fact, the task of making peace is daunting because you're like, well, my family is toxic. My relationships are toxic. Pastor Dennis, how am I supposed to break this habit, this sin pattern in my life of always causing trouble instead of making peace. You know, what's interesting to me is if you read through Jesus' interactions with the disciples, from time to time, he always tells them certain biblical principles that run counter to who they are. And they act shocked and said, Lord, how, how, how are we even supposed to do this? Think about when Jesus talked about marriage. And he says, hey, listen, uh, you're not supposed to get a divorce unless there's adultery. And they said, well, how is anybody supposed to get married? What are we going to do, right? And what does Jesus tell them? Hey, calm down. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And if you're watching me today and you say, Pastor Dennis, I'm a troublemaker. I'm a troublemaker in my home. I'm a troublemaker in my relationships. I don't know how to make peace. Here's what I have to tell you. Calm down. (laughs) Calm down. With you, I agree. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus made it possible for us to be peacemakers by demonstrating what what it takes to be a peacemaker on the cross, and that's death. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus' death on the cross enabled us to come into fellowship with God. And if you want to be a peacemaker like Jesus, you have to learn to die to yourself. Self-death, that's the key of stop being a troublemaker and start being a peacemaker in what God has called you to do. If you want to break the spirit of antichrist, that spirit of pride that always seeks to be right, that always seeks to win the argument, that always seeks to be on top, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to die to self, and instead I am going to pursue peace the way that God wants me to in my home and in my community. Husband and wife, listen to me. You two are not the enemy. Stop causing trouble between each other and start making peace. Children, don't be the source of trouble in your home. Seek to be the source that makes peace in your home. Wherever you are in the spectrum of life, if you find yourself in relationships where you're causing trouble and it's toxic, look within and learn to die to self. And you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, how do I die to self? I don't even know that. Here's some tips. Number one, is learn to overlook an offense. You know, every day something happens. Someone says something. Someone acts a particular way. You don't always have to react to that. Learn to overlook an offense. Learn to realize that God is gracious towards you and overlooks your offense. 
Not only that, but learn to talk things through with people instead of always trying to yell at people. You know, immediately something happens, the, you know, the claws come out and we, we're ready to go. We're like Wolverine. Ah, you know, we're, we're ready to fight. But the Bible says, listen, we're not called to be fighters. We're called to be lovers. We're called to be peacemakers. So learn to talk things through. And here's another one. Learn to get help. You know, the young lady that I mentioned, one of the, the rest of that story is she realized that she just couldn't make, uh, she didn't know how to be a peacemaker on her own. She was always causing trouble. And so she went and got some help. She began to talk to pastors. She began to talk to counselors. She had an accountability partner and on and on and on. But she wanted to break this pattern in her life. Now, here's the thing. The spirit of Antichrist, they don't want to make peace. They don't want to work it out. That's why the Bible says they went out from us. Because they're not interested in working it out with the covenant community. They're interested in being right. They're interested in causing trouble. And God says those people, we can't have them in the midst of the covenant community because that's antithetical of what it means to be a part of the covenant community. And if you are a Christian... You know, one of the things I hear people say all the time, Pastor Dennis, that's just the way I am. I'm a tell-it-like-it-is kind of person. Okay, that may be the way you are, but that's not the way God tells you to be in his word. We have all kind of unbiblical philosophies that are in the world that doesn't jive with what the Bible says. That may be who you are, and I know you're good at uh, giving people a piece of your mind, but God says give them a little less. Give them a little less of your mind. And learn to make Peace, because peace is integral to the covenant community. Now, what caused this disruption? What caused this disruption? Well, what caused this disruption is a denial of the truth. Notice with me in verse number 22 and 23. Now, the Antichrist went out from the covenant community, but the covenant community didn't just kick them out. It's not like they came to church and they said, we don't like you, and they grabbed you and then shoved them out of the church. That's not what happened. What happened is, is that these group of people denied the truth. And what is the truth that they denied? The word of God tells us in verse number 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So what is the spirit of Antichrist? They are denying that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. Now, that, that one phrase, Jesus is the Christ, that's central to what it means to be a Christian. Because when we confess that Jesus is the Christ, that's not, that's not something that's up, up for debate or an option. It's not like when we come to church, we're like, oh, okay, you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ? That's okay. You believe that Jesus is the Christ? That's okay. We could all get along. Listen, we don't pursue unity to the detriment of truth. In fact, true unity has to be predicated on the truth. If we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, if we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if we don't believe that Christ actually died for us, then what is our basis of community? What is our basis of unity? And so sometimes people look at this and say, well, that's mean. They kick the Antichrist people out. No, it's not mean. In fact, the most loving thing that they could have done was to remove them from the covenant community so that they can see that truth matters. Truth matters. If we have in our churches this whole notion that, listen, it doesn't matter what you believe, you can come in the church, um, 
To some degree, there is certain doctrines that we can allow for some disagreement, but the, what they call the central aspects of the faith, the pillar of the faith, the foundations of the faith is just one thing, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. And think about how important that confession is. Notice with me in verse, um, continuing on in verse number 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, why is John saying confessing that Jesus is the Christ? Why is that so important? Well, think about what the word confession means. In Greek, the word, con the word confession means to be of one word or one mind. And one commentator fleshed it out to be this, to be in agreement over what is being said. When you and I confess that Jesus is the Christ, what are we doing? We're humbly confessing and coming into agreement with who he says he is and what he says about us. When you and I confess that Jesus is the Christ, we are saying, Lord, I acknowledge who you are. You are my Savior. I cannot save myself. Therefore, I need you to save me. That is what it means. And the spirit of Antichrist says, no. I don't need a savior. I'm my own savior. I don't need someone up in the sky who I can't see to tell me how to live my life. Someone who lived 2,000 years ago to tell me how to live my life. I can live my life just on my own. Let me tell you something. Never forget that that which, eternal, that which is eternal is never out of date. It transcends all space and time. And if Christ came to, the, came to this earth, died for our sins, and rose again, as we've said from this pulpit, and you've heard from our elders and, and, and godly people in the church, if that is the case, that changes everything. As someone told me recently, we are no match for Christ. And also, we can't do the work for Christ. No one can be in the business of saving anybody else. Listen, we might be able to give our life for one person, but I could tell you this, we can't give our life for two people. Once you die, that's it. But the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the cross, is that Christ's death on the cross made it possible for all of us to be made alive. But it also made it possible for us to kill pride in our life and with humility come to know the Savior. Now remember, this whole thing about us being uh, humble, that's not in our nature. It's not in our nature. We can't be humble in and of ourselves. But God in his graciousness and his goodness has given us the Holy Spirit. That's what John is saying in verse number 20 and in verse number 27. He says, but you have, an anointed, or you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you have all knowledge. Then if you drop down to verse number 27, he says, But the anointing that you have received from him, let it abide in you. Now, because you and I are unable, because we're unable to be humble, because we're unable to, to come submissively before the Lord and confess, the Bible says that we have been given the Holy Spirit and been given the knowledge to do these things. And so the rejection of the Antichrist, the rejection of their, um, of their confession, is because they were telling people, listen, you don't have to believe in the Christ. That, that that wasn't the true Christ. Instead, you need to believe in works and the law. And, and the works and the law point to the fact that 
hey, they were depending on self-righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. And if you're out there and you're depending on self-righteousness, you will fail. Because self-righteousness, the Bible says, only leads to death. The law kills. But it's through the Spirit, it's through the work of the Spirit, that God enables us to be humbled. You know, I, I recently I, I was um, catching up on my COVID-19 news, and there was a doctor who came on, and, and he started saying that there's a huge problem going on in some of the hospitals around the country. And the problem is this. Because everyone is so focused on COVID-19, because everyone is so focused on either not getting it or helping people that have it, people that have underlying conditions, people that have conditions like heart disease or diabetes or high blood pressure or any number of diseases, that those people are choosing to stay home. And what they've noticed is a spike in the deaths of those people because they're not getting the long-term care that they need. And beloved, today, I know it seems strange to talk about the Antichrist and the spirit of pride in the midst of this. I know some churches and some uh, folks are doing um, special services and and special teaching series to help us deal with the COVID-19 crisis. But here's what I have to say. In the same way that those people who are, you know, they have heart disease and so forth, because of COVID-19, they're not getting the treatment that we need. We in the church, we forget the types of illnesses, spiritual illnesses, that can harm us more than COVID-19. And the, the greatest thing I can preach to you today and to warn you about today that John naturally warns, warns us about in his word is the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of pride. And even as you suffer through this period of emotional distress or you think about all the ways that COVID-19 is harming you and your your community, I don't want you to forget the thing that uh, C.S. Lewis says harms us the most, that's the most destructive to our souls, and that's pride. And so, yes, care for yourself when it comes to COVID-19, but I want you today to remember to care for your souls and think about the fact that your pride if it goes unchecked, if it goes unrepented, if you don't confess that Jesus is the Christ, your Savior, and you deal with it daily, that will destroy you before the COVID-19 will. And on what you say, Pastor, well, what do I have to do? Well, John gives us the roadmap. Confess your sins before the Lord. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. Humble ourselves. Whether you're a Christian, that helps you to come back into fellowship with God. If you're watching me today and you're an unbeliever, Confession is the way that you can get into the kingdom of God. If you are filled with pride, pride will not get you into the kingdom of heaven and it won't get you far in this life. You must humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he alone will exalt you in due time. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that your word is true, that your word um, reminds us even in times like this that we need to be humble. Oh, Lord, pride is destructive. The spirit of Antichrist, as seen in this passage, is destructive. It creates an unhealthy self-love. It it causes us to be in conflict with other people, but also, Father, it causes us to deny the central truth of our faith that you are the Christ, the Lord of all. And so, Lord, help us as your people to be in a constant state of confession, And it's through confession, the humility of confession, 
that we can be brought into relationship with you. And so bless us now, your people, in Jesus' name, amen.